Chapter Forty Seven of Wives and Daughters by Elizabeth Gaskell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Forty Seven: Scandal and Its Victims. When Mister Gibson returned to Hollingford, he found an accumulation of business waiting for him, and he was much inclined to complain of the consequences of the two days' comparative holiday, which had resulted in overwork for the week to come he had hardly time to speak to his family he had so immediately to rush off to pressing cases of illness but molly managed to arrest him in the hall standing there with his greatcoat held out ready for him to put on but whispering as she did so papa mr osborne hamley was here to see you yesterday he looks very ill and he is evidently frightened about himself mr gibson faced about and looked at her for a moment but all he said was i'll go and see him don't tell your mother where i'm gone you've not mentioned this to her i hope no said molly for she had only told mrs gibson of osborne's call not of the occasion for it don't say anything about it there's no need now that i think of it i can't possibly go to-day but i will go something in her father's manner disheartened molly who had persuaded herself that osborne's evident illness was partly nervous by which she meant imaginary she had dwelt upon his looks of enjoyment at miss phoebe's perplexity and thought that no one really believing himself to be in danger could have given the merry glances which he had done but after seeing the seriousness of her father's face she recurred to the shock she had experienced on first seeing osborne's changed appearance all this time mrs gibson was busy reading a letter from cynthia which mr gibson had brought from london for every opportunity of private conveyance was seized upon when postage was so high and cynthia had forgotten so many things in her hurried packing that she now sent a list of the clothes which she required molly almost wondered that it had not come to her but she did not understand the sort of reserve that was springing up in cynthia's mind toward her cynthia herself struggled with the feeling and tried to fight against it by calling herself ungrateful but the truth was she believed that she no longer held her former high place in molly's estimation and she could not help turning away from one who knew things to her discredit she was fully aware of molly's prompt decision and willing action where action was especially disagreeable on her behalf she knew that molly would never bring up the past errors and difficulties but still the consciousness that the good straightforward girl had learnt that cynthia had been guilty of so much underhand work cooled her regard and restrained her willingness of intercourse reproach herself with ingratitude as she would she could not help feeling glad to be away from molly it was awkward to speak to her as if nothing had happened it was awkward to write to her about forgotten ribbons and laces when their last conversation had been on such different subjects and had called out such vehement expressions of feeling so mrs gibson held the list in her hand and read out the small fragments of news that were intermixed with notices of cynthia's requirements helen cannot be so very ill said molly at length oh cynthia would not want her pink muslin and daisy wreath i don't see that that follows i'm sure replied mrs gibson rather sharply helen would never be so selfish as to tie cynthia to her side however ill she was indeed i should not have felt that it was my duty to let cynthia go to london at all if i had thought she was to be perpetually exposed to the depressing atmosphere of a sick-room 
besides it must be so good for helen to have cynthia coming in with bright pleasant accounts of the parties she has been to even if cynthia disliked gaiety i should desire her to sacrifice herself and go out as much as she could for helen's sake my idea of nursing is that one should not always be thinking of one's own feelings and wishes but doing those things which will most serve to beguile the weary hours of an invalid but then so few people have had to consider the subject so deeply as i have done mrs gibson here thought fit to sigh before going on with cynthia's letter as far as molly could make any sense out of this rather incoherent epistle very incoherently read aloud to her cynthia was really pleased and glad to be of use and comfort to helen but at the same time very ready to be easily persuaded into the perpetual small gaieties which abounded in her uncle's house in london even at this dead season of the year mrs gibson came upon mr henderson's name once and then went on with a running mm, 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 to herself which sounded very mysterious but which might as well have been omitted as all that cynthia really said about him was mr henderson's mother has advised my aunt to consult a certain dr donaldson who is said to be very clever in such cases as helen's but my uncle is not sufficiently sure of the professional etiquette etc then there came a very affectionate carefully worded message to molly implying a good deal more than was said of loving gratitude for the trouble she had taken on cynthia's behalf and that was all and molly went away a little depressed she knew not why the operation on lady cumnor had been successfully performed and in a few days they hoped to bring her down to the towers to recruit her strength in the fresh country air the case was one which interested mr gibson extremely and in which his opinion had proved to be right in opposition to that of one or two great names in london the consequence was that he was frequently consulted and referred to during the progress of her recovery and as he had much to do in the immediate circle of his hollingford practice as well as to write thoughtful letters to his medical brethren in london he found it difficult to spare the three or four hours necessary to go over to hamley to see osborne he wrote to him however begging him to reply immediately and detail his symptoms and from the answer he received he did not imagine that the case was immediately pressing osborne too deprecated his coming over to hamley for the express purpose of seeing him so the visit was deferred to that more convenient season which is so often too late all these days the buzzing gossip about molly's meetings with mr preston her clandestine correspondence the secret interviews in lonely places had been gathering strength and assuming the positive form of scandal the simple innocent girl who walked through the quiet streets without a thought of being the object of mysterious implications became for a time the unconscious black sheep of the town servants heard part of what was said in their mistress's drawing-rooms and exaggerated the sayings among themselves with the coarse strengthening of expression common with uneducated people mr preston himself became aware that her name was being coupled with his though hardly to the extent to which the love of excitement and gossip had carried people's speeches he chuckled over the mistake but took no pains to correct it it serves her right said he to himself for meddling with other folks business and he felt himself avenged for the discomfiture which her menace of appealing to lady harriet had caused him 
and the mortification he had experienced in learning from her plain-speaking lips how he had been talked over by cynthia and herself with personal dislike on the one side and evident contempt on the other besides if any denial of mr preston's stirred up an examination as to the real truth more might come out of his baffled endeavours to compel cynthia to keep to her engagement to him than he cared to have known he was angry with himself for still loving cynthia loving her in his own fashion be it understood he told himself that many a woman of more position and wealth would be glad enough to have him some of them pretty women too and he asked himself why he was such a confounded fool as to go on hankering after a penniless girl who was as fickle as the wind the answer was silly enough logically but forcible in fact cynthia was cynthia and not venus herself could have been her substitute in this one thing mr preston was more really true than many worthy men who seeking to be married turn with careless facility from the unattainable to the attainable and keep their feelings and fancy tolerably loose till they find a woman who consents to be their wife but no one would ever be to mr preston what cynthia had been and was and yet he could have stabbed her in certain of his moods so molly who had come between him and the object of his desire was not likely to find favour in his sight or to obtain friendly actions from him there came a time not very distant from the evening at mrs dawes when molly felt that people looked askance at her mrs goodenough openly pulled her granddaughter away when the young girl stopped to speak to molly in the street and an engagement which the two had made for a long walk together was cut very short by a very trumpery excuse mrs goodenough explained her conduct in the following manner to some of her friends you see i don't think the worse of a girl for meeting her sweetheart here and there and everywhere till she gets talked about but then when she does and molly gibson's name is in everybody's mouth i think it's only fair to bessie who has trusted me with annabella not to let her daughter be seen with a lass who has managed her matters so badly as to set folk talking about her my maxim is this and it's a very good working one you may depend on't women should mind what they're about and never be talked of and if a woman's talked of the less her friends have to do with her till the talk has died away the better so annabella is not to have anything to do with molly gibson this visit at any rate for a good while the miss brownings were kept in ignorance of the evil tongues that whispered hard words about molly miss browning was known to have a temper and by instinct every one who came in contact with her shrank from irritating that temper by uttering the slightest syllable against the smallest of those creatures over whom she spread the aegis of her love she would and did reproach them herself she used to boast that she never spared them but no one else might touch them with the slightest slur of a passing word but miss phoebe inspired no such terror the great reason why she did not hear of the gossip against molly as early as any one was that although she was not the rose she lived near the rose besides she was of so tender a nature that even thick-skinned mrs goodenough was unwilling to say what would give miss phoebe pain and it was the newcomer mrs dawes who in all ignorance alluded to the town's talk as to something of which miss phoebe must be aware 
then miss phoebe poured down her questions although she protested even with tears her total disbelief in all the answers she received it was a small act of heroism on her part to keep all that she then learnt a secret from her sister dorothy as she did for four or five days till miss browning attacked her one evening with the following speech phoebe either you've some reason for puffing yourself out with sighs or you've not if you have a reason it's your duty to tell me directly and if you haven't a reason you must break yourself of a bad habit that is growing upon you oh sister do you think it is really my duty to tell you it would be such a comfort but then i thought i ought not it will distress you so nonsense i am so well prepared for misfortune by the frequent contemplation of its possibility that i believe i can receive any ill news with apparent equanimity and real resignation besides when you said yesterday at breakfast time that you meant to give up the day to making your drawers tidy i was aware that some misfortune was impending though of course i could not judge of its magnitude is the high chester bank broken oh no sister said miss phoebe moving to a seat close to her sister's on the sofa have you really been thinking that i wish i had told you what i heard at the very first if you've been fancying that take warning phoebe and learn to have no concealments from me i did think we must be ruined from your ways of going on eating no meat at dinner and sighing continually and now what is it i hardly know how to tell you dorothy i really don't miss phoebe began to cry miss browning took hold of her arm and gave her a little sharp shake cry as much as you like when you've told me but don't cry now child when you're keeping me on the tenterhooks molly gibson has lost her character sister that's it molly gibson has done no such thing said miss browning indignantly how dare you repeat such stories about poor mary's child never let me hear you say such things again i can't help it mrs dawes told me and she says it's all over the town i told her i did not believe a word of it and i kept it from you and i think i should have been really ill if i'd kept it to myself any longer oh sister what are you going to do for miss browning had risen without speaking a word and was leaving the room in a stately and determined fashion i'm going to put on my bonnet and things and then i shall call upon mrs dawes and confront her with her lies oh don't call them lies sister it, it's such a strong ugly word please call them tallydiddles for i don't believe she meant any harm besides besides if they should turn out to be truth really sister that's the weight on my mind so many things sounded as if they might be true what things said miss browning still standing with judicial erectness of position in the middle of the room why one story was that molly had given him a letter who's him how am i to understand a story told in that silly way miss browning sat down on the nearest chair and made up her mind to be patient if she could him is mr preston and that must be true because i missed her from my side 
when I wanted to ask her if she thought blue would look green by candlelight, as the young man said it would. And she had run across the street, and Mrs. Goodenough was just going into the shop, just as she said she was. Miss Browning's distress was overcoming her anger, so she only said, Phoebe, I think you'll drive me mad. Do tell me what you've heard from Mrs. Dawes in a sensible and coherent manner for once in your life. I'm sure I'm trying, with all my might, to tell you everything just as it happened. What did you hear from Mrs. Dawes? Why, that Molly and Mr. Preston were keeping company, just as if she was a maid-servant and he was a gardener, meeting at all sorts of improper times and places, and fainting away in his arms, and out at night together, and writing to each other, and slipping their letters into each other's hands. And that was what I was talking about, sister, for I next door to saw that done once. I saw her, with my own eyes, run across the street to Grinstead's, where he was, for we had just left him there, with a letter in her hand, too, which was not there when she came back, all fluttered and blushing. But I never thought anything of it at the time. But now all the town is talking about it, and crying shame, and saying that they ought to be married." Miss Phoebe sank into sobbing again, but was suddenly roused by a good box on her ear. Miss Browning was standing over her, almost trembling with passion. "'Phoebe, if I ever hear you say such things again, I'll turn you out of the house that minute.' "'I only said what Mrs. Dawes said, and you asked me what it was,' replied Miss Phoebe, humbly and meekly. "'Dorothy, you should not have done that.' never mind whether i should or i shouldn't that's not the matter in hand what i've got to decide is how to put a stop to all these lies but dorothy they are not all lies if you will call them so i'm afraid some things are true though i stuck to their being false when mrs dawes told me of them if i go to mrs dawes and she repeats them to me i shall slap her face or box her ears i'm afraid for I couldn't stand tales being told of poor Mary's daughter, as if they were just a stirring piece of news like James Horrocks' pig with two heads, said Miss Browning, meditating aloud. That would do harm instead of good, Phoebe. I'm really sorry I boxed your ears, only I should do it again if you said the same things. Phoebe sat down by her sister and took hold of one of her withered hands and began caressing it, which was her way of accepting her sister's expression of regret. If I speak to Molly, the child will deny it, if she's half as good for nothing as they say, and if she's not, she'll only worry herself to death. No, that won't do. Mrs. Goodenough, but she's a donkey, and if I convinced her, she could never convince anyone else. No, Mrs. Dawes, who told you, shall tell me, and I'll tie my hands together inside my muff and bind myself over to keep the peace. And when I've heard what is to be heard, I'll put the matter into Mr. Gibson's hands. That's what I'll do. So it's no use your saying anything against it, Phoebe, for I shan't attend to you. Miss Browning went to Mrs. Dawes and began civilly enough to make inquiries concerning the reports current in Hollingford about Molly and Mr. Preston, 
and mrs dawes fell into the snare and told all the real and fictitious circumstances of the story in circulation quite unaware of the storm that was gathering and ready to fall upon her as soon as she stopped speaking but she had not the long habit of reverence for miss browning which would have kept so many hollingford ladies from justifying herself if she found fault mrs dawes stood up for herself and her own veracity bringing out fresh scandal which she said she did not believe but that many did and deducing so much evidence as to the truth of what she had said and did believe that miss browning was almost quelled and sat silent and miserable at the end of mrs dawes's justification of herself well she said at length rising up from her chair as she spoke i'm very sorry i've lived till this day it's a blow to me just as if i'd heard of such goings-on in my own flesh and blood i suppose i ought to apologise to you mrs dawes for what i said but i've no heart to do it to-day i ought not to have spoken as i did but that's nothing to this affair you see i hope you do me the justice to perceive that i only repeat what i have heard on good authority miss browning said mrs dawes in reply my dear don't repeat evil on any authority unless you can do some good by speaking about it said miss browning laying her hand on mrs dawes's shoulder i'm not a good woman but i know what is good and that advice is and now i think i can tell you that i beg your pardon for flying out upon you so but god knows what pain you are putting me to you'll forgive me won't you my dear mrs dawes felt the hand trembling on her shoulder and saw the real distress of miss browning's mind so it was not difficult for her to grant the requested forgiveness then miss browning went home and said but a few words to phoebe who indeed saw well enough that her sister had heard the reports confirmed and needed no further explanation of the cause of scarcely tasted dinner and short replies and saddened looks presently miss browning sat down and wrote a short note then she rang the bell and told the little maiden who answered it to take it to mr gibson and if he was out to see that it was given to him as soon as ever he came home and then she went and put on her sunday cap and miss phoebe knew that her sister had written to ask mr gibson to come and be told of the rumours affecting his daughter miss browning was sadly disturbed at the information she had received and the task that lay before her she was miserably uncomfortable to herself and irritable to miss phoebe and the netting cotton she was using kept continually snapping and breaking from the jerks of her nervous hands when the knock at the door was heard the well-known doctor's knock miss browning took off her spectacles and dropped them on the carpet breaking them as she did so and then she bade miss phoebe leave the room as if her presence had cast the evil eye and caused the misfortune she wanted to look natural and was distressed at forgetting whether she usually received him sitting or standing well said he coming in cheerfully and rubbing his cold hands as he went straight to the fire and what is the matter with us it's phoebe i suppose i hope none of those old spasms but after all a dose or two will set that to rights oh mr gibson i wish it was phoebe or me either said miss browning trembling more and more he sat down by her patiently when he saw her agitation and took her hand in a kind friendly manner don't hurry yourself take your time 
I dare say it's not so bad as you fancy, but we'll see about it. There's a great deal of help in the world, much as we abuse it. Mr. Gibson, said she, it's your Molly I'm so grieved about. Oh, it's out now, and God help us both, and the poor child too, for I'm sure she's been led astray and not gone wrong by her own free will. <laughs> Molly, said he, fighting against her words, what's my little Molly been doing or saying? Oh, Mr. Gibson, I, I don't know how to tell you. I never would have named it if I had not been convinced sorely, sorely against my will. At any rate, you can let me hear what you've heard, said he, putting his elbow on the table and screening his eyes with his hand. Not that I'm a bit afraid of anything you can hear about my girl, continued he. Only in this little nest of gossip it's as well to know what people are talking about. They say, oh, how shall I tell you? Go on, can't you? said he, removing his hand from his blazing eyes. I'm not going to believe it, so don't be afraid. Uh, but I fear you must believe it. I, I would not if I could help it. She's been carrying on a clandestine correspondence with Mr. Preston. Mr. Preston? exclaimed he. And meeting him at all sorts of unseemly places and hours out of doors, in the dark, fainting away in his, his arms, if I must speak out. All the town is talking of it. Mr. Gibson's hand was over his eyes again, and he made no sign. So Miss Browning went on, adding touch to touch. Mr. Sheepshanks saw them together. They, they've exchanged notes in Grinstead's shop. She ran after him there. Be quiet, can't you? said Mr. Gibson, taking his hand away and showing his grim set face. I've heard enough. Don't go on. I said I shouldn't believe it, and I don't. I suppose I must thank you for telling me, but I can't yet. I don't want your thanks, said Miss Browning, almost crying. I thought you ought to know, for though you're married again, I, I can't forget you were dear Mary's husband once upon a time, and Molly's her child. I'd rather not speak any more about it just at present, said he, not at all replying to Miss Browning's last speech. I may not control myself as I ought. I only wish I could meet Preston and horsewhip him within an inch of his life. I wish I had the doctoring of these slanderous gossips. I'd make their tongues lie still for a while. My little girl! What harm has she done them all? That they should go and foul her fair name. Indeed, Mr. Gibson, I'm afraid it's all true. I, I would not have sent for you if I hadn't examined into it. Do ascertain the truth before you do anything violent, such as horsewhipping or poisoning. With all the inconsequence of a man in a passion, Mr. Gibson laughed out. What have I said about horse-whipping or poisoning? Do you think I'd have Molly's name dragged about the streets in connection with any act of violence on my part? Let the report die away as it arose. Time will prove its falsehood. But I don't think it will, and that's the pity of it, said Miss Browning. You must do something, but I don't know what. I shall go home and ask Molly herself what's the meaning of it all. That's all I shall do. It's too ridiculous. Knowing Molly as I do, it's perfectly ridiculous. He got up and walked about the room with hasty steps, laughing short unnatural laughs from time to time. Really, what will they say next? Satan finds some mischief still for idle tongues to do. Oh, don't talk of Satan, please, in this house. No one knows what may happen if he's lightly spoken about, pleaded Miss Browning. He went on, without noticing her, talking to himself. I've a great mind to leave the place, and what food for scandal that piece of folly would give rise to. 
then he was silent for a time his hands in his pockets his eyes on the ground as he continued his quarter-deck march suddenly he stopped close to miss browning's chair i'm thoroughly ungrateful to you for as true a mark of friendship as you've ever shown to me true or false it was right i should know the wretched scandal that was being circulated and it couldn't have been pleasant for you to tell it me thank you from the bottom of my heart indeed mr gibson if it was false i would never have named it but let it die away it's not true though said he doggedly letting drop the hand he had taken in his effusion of gratitude she shook her head i shall always love molly for her mother's sake she said and it was a great concession from the correct miss browning but her father did not understand it as such you ought to love her for her own she has done nothing to disgrace herself i shall go straight home and probe into the truth as if the poor girl who had been led away into deceit already would scruple much at going on in falsehood was miss browning's remark on this last speech of mr gibson's but she had discretion enough not to make it until he was well out of hearing End of chapter 47